Hello and welcome everyone to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and it is Barbenheimer Week. That's right. For all you film fans, all you cinephiles that have been expecting this, looking forward to it, planning your summer weekend all around, trying to see both of these films in the same day, I've had that opportunity, not together the same day, but I have been able to see them both, and this is the time we're going to talk about them. So without further ado, let's get started with Barbie from Warner Brothers Pictures. It stars Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, Rhea Perlman, Will Ferrell, Hari Neff, Alexandra Shipp, Emma Mackey, Sharon Rooney, Dua Lipa, Nicola Coughlin, Aunt Anna Cruz Kane, Ritu Arya, Kingsley Ben-Adir, Simu Liu, Scott Evans, Mkuti Gatwa, John Cena, Helen Mirren, Emerald Fennell, and Michael Sarah. It is directed by Greta Gerwig and written by Gerwig and Noah Baumbach and based on Barbie by Mattel, the line of toys. Cinematography is by Rodrigo Prieto, music by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt, and editing by Nick Huey. It runs 114 minutes, is rated PG-13 for suggestive references and brief language. What's it about? After being expelled from the utopian Barbie land for being less than perfect dolls, Barbie and Ken go on a journey of self-discovery to the real world. Now let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Boy, does this movie look good. Barbie Land is exactly as it's billed. It's a dream world, full of awesome, toy-like practical sets and gorgeous bright colors. The production design is absolutely a star here. The costuming is also incredible. The detail taken to work in so many historic dolls and outfits from the Barbie line is the kind of nostalgic crack that fans of an IP or a brand always go nuts for. I'd actually be willing to bet a large sum of money that nearly everyone seeing this on opening weekend, well, hear someone around them at some point proclaim, I had that? It definitely happened in my theater. Oh, and the needle drops and the musical numbers? Rock. The former do something that I personally obsess with, which is that the songs are chosen specifically for their lyrical fit with the narrative. And the latter are just some bombastic song and dance routines full of energy that bring a huge smile to your face and are really reminiscent of old musicals like Singing in the Rain and Oklahoma and The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, all which Gerwig has cited as inspiration. The vibe is just so joyous and fun pretty much throughout. The film does quiet down a time or two, but those moments are extremely brief. And they have a weight to them that is treated really respectfully. However, this is a satirical comedy more than anything else, which is something I tend to be fairly critical of. In Barbie, I found a lot to love. The film absolutely has a feminist slant to it. I think we knew that going in. What I appreciated was how it doesn't take the approach of simply making fun of men and treating them only like the punchline. It does that plenty. 
But the script also acknowledges things like the importance of clear two-way communication in a relationship. The movie's very balanced in how it critiques gender norms in our current world, does a great job of examining the struggles and delights of womanhood, yes, but also of considering what it means to be a man, how the current state of the world around us can color our expectations for our place in it, and how men and women should not just swap places of power, but need to coexist in a mutually considerate way. Though it is certainly what many will call a message movie, Gerwig and Bombach have written this specifically to tease and flat out condemn the way we treat each other, and again, yes, mostly women, but that's an agenda that everyone should get behind. The only people I can see having a problem with the story are those that want the patriarchy to continue existing for their own benefit, or men who are so self-conscious that their feelings get hurt seeing some of the silly ways that we behave being poked fun at. Snyder fans may also be a little salty due to one particular joke, something I thought was pretty petty from WB, honestly, it reeks of studio interference and I don't think it will age well. If you've seen the trailers, you know that Barbie and Ken enter the real world when things get a little wonky in their version of Oz. And this is where the meta nature of things started to break down for me. Mattel the company is introduced and Gerwig attempts to critique a system that this film itself is still a part of. Yes, we can all look at a boardroom full of men who run a company that sells a doll created by a woman and sold to women primarily and appreciate her calling out that something is wrong with that. But the complete goofiness of these characters just ends up feeling out of place because the real world ends up being just as slapstick as the toy one. I also have mixed feelings on a particular subplot that revolves around Barbie's potential to become a human and briefly gets into a little creator creation talk. On the other hand, Barbie's relationship with a human woman named Gloria and her daughter Sasha ends up being pretty terrific and meaningful, and so I'm glad that they blended these two worlds together for that reason at least. I also wanted to share something that my good friend and critic Don Shanahan brought up, which is that this is wholeheartedly a PG-13 movie, not for anything raunchy or offensive, but because it is very layered and it is pretty heavy with its social commentary and themes young kids are not going to understand a lot of what is going on with the dialogue. So parents should absolutely be ready for questions and explain things. I love the cast. The Kins are mostly well-built and traditionally attractive, but the Barbies come in all kinds of beautiful shapes and sizes. Both are extremely diverse groups as well. Many people will be able to see this and feel represented Margot Robbie is, of course, amazing. She nails the look of a doll when necessary, as well as the transformation into a more human-like character that is having an existential crisis. Even the narrator, a wonderfully used Dame Helen Mirren, even remarks at one point about how difficult it is to see Robbie as someone 
anything but perfect. It's a sentiment that all viewers probably share, but it's also a bit of an ironic joke considering that this is a story all about celebrating women not being perfect and just being themselves. Which for 99% of people is not looking like or having the performance talent of Margot Robbie. Gosling really steals every scene he's in too. His comedic timing is unbelievable. And his commitment to this particular shtick makes me think that no one else could have come close to achieving what he does with the character. He has a fun rivalry throughout with Simu Liu's version of Ken and a very, frankly relatable to me, relationship with Barbie that both offer up plenty of hilarious moments as well. There are also some fun, shorter, cameo-esque type of Barbie roles that I enjoyed quite a bit. They're fun and used sparingly. Barbie is a very good movie and one of the most enjoyable satires that I've seen, which again is something I don't say lightly. It's a great time in a theater and I highly recommend it for pretty much everyone. This isn't the masterful work that Gerwig has accomplished with her first two films, though. As characterization is extremely one note, it's shallow but effective. When considering that this is a studio picture based on a toy, and one that is undoubtedly carrying the weight of corporate expectations to pay off long term in the merchandising and franchise departments, she does just about as good of a job as anyone could to elevate it into something worthwhile. Barbie is available in theaters beginning on July 21st. And now for the main course, Oppenheimer from Universal Pictures. It stars Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, Benny Safdie, Dylan Arnold, Gustav Skarsgård, David Krumholtz, Matthew Modine, David Desmalkian, Tom Conti, Jack Quaid, Dane DeHaan, Alden Ehrenreich, Jason Clark, James Yarsi, Alex Wolfe, Scott Grimes, and Gary Oldman. It is directed by Christopher Nolan and is written by Christopher Nolan. It is based on American Prometheus, the book by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. Cinematography is by Hoyt Van Hoytema. Music is by Ludwig Gorenson and is edited by Jennifer Lame. Runtime is 181 minutes and is rated R for sexuality, nudity, and language. What's it about? The story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Let me start this review by giving you an important suggestion. Don't see this three-hour drama that has no intermission in a packed theater without air conditioning like I had to. Uncomfortable film watching really has a way of accentuating any critiques one may have as well. So just keep that in mind as we dive into my thoughts on Nolan's latest. It wasn't the best movie-going experience I've ever had. And unfortunately, no, they weren't doing it just to be cute and match the tone of the film's theme. Oppenheimer is going to be divisive. Even among diehard Nolan fans like myself, I expect there to be quite a variance in reaction. This is a very dense biopic that covers a lot of ground. Not just with the sheer amount of people thrown at you, historically speaking, but with regards to the complexity of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man. His wrestling with morality and relationships, especially. There are, I think, at least three different timelines to follow. 
one of which is in black and white, so that's easy enough to understand, but there were a few times I found myself wondering just exactly where in Oppenheimer's life we were supposed to be. Anyone who really hated the way Nolan plays with time in Dunkirk and Tenet may end up having that same complaint here. Nolan's incredible technical prowess should never really be up for debate. He's proven himself time and time again. Oppenheimer is a brilliant audiovisual experience at times, specifically when we are witnessing imagery in the head of the main character himself and during sections when the bomb is being built and tested. The sound design and the pulsating score from Ludwig Göransson create a visceral, immersive environment in which to take in what is really generally just a whole lot of conversation. <laughs> I saw this on actual film in 70mm and it looked gorgeous throughout, grounded and very natural in a way that our CGI-heavy Hollywood blockbusters have long largely abandoned. Actors also flock to Nolan because they believe in what he does. For example, he has a Best Actor Oscar winner who only shows up in about three scenes and spends a total of maybe five minutes on screen. The supporting cast is just so strong, and their talent certainly elevates this throughout. Although, it's unfortunate that both Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt have such rigidly specific roles as women who orbit the man, and very little agency or personality of their own. Both are tremendous in at least one scene apiece especially, but their characters are just sadly not all that deeply defined. Robert Downey Jr. is particularly incredible, standing out even amongst his peers, and delivers a character that finally no longer just feels like Tony Stark in a different outfit. Then there's Cillian Murphy, who really does give a masterful performance. Nolan has mentioned that he looked to Murphy because of his presence and eyes. There's a lot of work done with those eyes in Oppenheimer, conveying tragic complexity. It's a major awards-worthy turn that hopefully will be rewarded. Getting back to the story, the timeline jumping happens throughout, but there are largely three distinct events in the film. The first hour plays like a pretty standard biopic. It's devoted to meeting Oppenheimer, seeing his rise to scientific stardom, learning about his proximity to the communist fascination at the time, and watching how his ego grew and how he interacted in several key relationships. The second hour is where the tension is highest. There's a thrilling atmosphere. It follows his time at Los Alamos, leading the Manhattan Project and building up to the fateful creation of the atomic bomb and Trinity Test. Then the third hour, quite unexpectedly I thought, shifts heavily into courtroom-like drama, bouncing back and forth between two hearings. One, an under-the-table witch hunt of sorts, and one, a Senate cabinet position confirmation. I enjoyed each to some extent, but struggled mightily overall with the first section because of how many names were being thrown at us so quickly, many without any real context yet for how they'd impact this story overall. As someone who didn't live through the period of history, I had no knowledge of these specifics, it felt like I was being fed a massive helping of research papers, but with flair. The second section, all about the actual bomb, is among the best things I've seen in years. It is extremely captivating and horrifying. The score is pulse-pounding throughout, and I'm sure that I stopped breathing at some point in there too. It was also a strong reminder of how many brilliant minds were involved in the creation of this technology, and that though he is known as the father of the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer himself didn't solely figure it all out. 
The third section is a little easier to follow because now we know who the players are. The film has been intimately about Oppenheimer the man up until now, and it continues to explore his great conflict with how to publicly reflect on his feelings about the state of nuclear energy and its use. But it also begins making us really wrestle with American politics and the government's role in creating the nuclear-powered world we live in today. Very challenging stuff, to be sure. I'm sorry to say this, but I don't think that whatever star rating I give Oppenheimer now is even fair. So consider it subject to change. This is Christopher Nolan attempting to make something akin to this decade's JFK, but more operatic and human. Again, it's so very dense, and I know that I'll glean much more from it on future viewings. Even with some strong reservations about its length, because I do believe that it could have been edited down to lose some of its more boring sections and remained just as effective, there's something special about this and different from the style of biographical drama we're used to getting. I also don't quite understand why Nolan chose for this to be his first R-rated film in over 20 years, as there is no on-screen violence and very little cursing. The 90 seconds or so of nudity is artful, but completely unnecessary. Is Oppenheimer a masterful achievement? I can't definitively answer that yet. It's possible. But I can confidently praise the effort and acknowledge a unique biographical epic experience that left me moved and thoughtful in equal measure, as well as extremely excited to see it again in the IMAX format. Oppenheimer is available in theaters on July 21st. Well, that's it for this episode of FF+. I hope that you've enjoyed it, and I hope that you have had some information given to you that will help aid in your decision-making on what movies you choose to go see. If you do see one of the movies that I discuss on this show, by all means, reach out. Talk to me on social media and let me know what your thoughts were. You can find me on Letterboxd, Twitter, Facebook, Blue Sky, Threads, you name it, I'm there. Usually under the username Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Also, if you enjoy the show, the best thing you can do is share it on social media or tell your friends and family about it. Introduce someone else to Feelin' Film. Or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you might listen. That also helps people know that the show is good quality and gives them the opportunity to take a chance and listen as well. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filled.